podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Whistleblowers podcast. This is a long old season, isn't it? This doesn't seem to end. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, I'm Mark Smith. I'm your host. I'm here as ever with Martin Gritton. Grits, you all right? Hi, Smudger. Yeah, great to be back. I know that you're you're sitting on a sofa, lying on your sofa. Why yes, is that? Just therapy, basically. Some, <laughs> is that, is that how you're got, treating I, this? I've got some audio books and yeah, this is just part of that That. That long well, every, every week you every week you uh, sort of forget where you are and stop listening to me or Gareth for a bit. Yeah. So don't don't fall asleep this time. All right, I know you're comfy. Just I'll try and not. stay awake for a bit. Uh, and with us, I mean, he wasn't here last week. We normally have Gareth Dobson. He wasn't here last week. Gareth, explain yourself. Where the hell were you? Uh, I was making a covert trip to the Midlands, and beyond that, I will say no more. Quite right. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> COVID, an absolute better than essential. But but yeah, you're a mess. Although Alfie Brown, uh, he did deb- well, not debuted. He was um, he filled in very well, didn't he, Mark? Stepped up, boy. Stepped up. Yeah, Alfie Brown, friend of the podcast. Good egg. Uh, check out all his stuff. Uh, Am I going to have to win my place back now? This is the big test. <laughs> yeah, man, this is it. You you've got to step it up, you know, because. <laughs> Grits obviously isn't putting anything into it this week. He's lying down. Um, so yeah, I've got a long contract. Up. I've got a long yeah, contract. You got, you're on trial. Of, you're on a week to week contract here, Gareth. It's really. I, I've been there, and it's you know it's not much fun. So uh, you know you, you just 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 do your best. I'll have. give you a score out of ten at the end, Gareth. <laughs> right, let's start, and we'll start with actually your team, Gareth. You're a Spurs fan. Um, on paper, this was the biggest game of the weekend, and the North London derby. It's it's not always brilliant, but it's always uh, always something fun happens in it. Um, what did you make of uh, first of all the game generally? Um, it was well, it was a very eventful game. I I think it was a, it was a pretty fun watch if you were a neutral or Definitely. obviously an Arsenal fan. Um, lots of incidents. It was uh, most intrigued by Martin Tyler jumping on the statistic that Spurs have a habit of scoring first in these games, but then tend to lose them. And you could hear him almost sort of wishing that to happen to fulfill his own prophecy uh, from fairly early on. But it was, you know, Spurs are more enjoyable to watch when they're not winning. Um, The moment they, they go ahead, they, they, you know, they, they turtle shell up. Everyone knows the, the Mourinho way. And, you know, We've talked about this a hundred times. They're not equipped to hold on to a one nil lead. So rarely do they do it. Um, and yet they persist. It's, you know, Arsenal were, were definitely the, the deserved winners. Even before Spurs uh, scored their goal, they, you know, hit the post a couple of times and, yeah. you know, they came on strong in the second half. But I think if you're a Spurs fan, you're, you're incredibly disappointed with A, the approach from when, from the very start of the game, but secondly, after you, you know, you do take the lead, you, you're essentially just sitting there waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's so, it's so strange. It's yeah. so strange. Uh, grits. I mean, obviously a couple of big talking points. We'll get onto them in a moment. 
but generally, uh, I mean, Gareth nailed it there, really. The, the worst thing that can happen in a game of football is Jose's team scoring first. And, that, and that's sort of what <laughs> happened again on Sunday. And before they conceded, they looked like they were just waiting to concede to then go and... Uh, sorry, before they went ahead, they looked like they were waiting to concede to do something. But then against the runner play, they go and score. You know, we'll talk about the goal in a minute. But if you're Jose, you know you haven't got the defenders that are capable of absorbing pressure for 90 minutes and keeping clean sheets. But you also know you've got great attackers. So why, Grits, why doesn't Jose just let them play attacking football, let them get on with it and not rely on a defence that isn't good enough? I, I have no idea, especially if you're going to play that lineup and sit them deep and basically make them redundant because Arsenal's energy was so much greater. Uh, yeah. You literally need, it's the best form of offence, you know, defence is offence. Well, you, but you've got to have that in, like almost in a full press if you've got that lineup, and they, they were nowhere near that. They were, you know, no. in the middle of the pitch and just getting ran all over. And then you've got the performances of, you know, uh, my hero Kieran Tierney down the left hand side, just, just, get, you know, gallivanting down that that side, no real resistance, and just. And again, you're absolutely right. They're not equipped to go backwards. Uh, the Spurs team, and the only no. real strength they do have is that you know that midfield maybe cog, which just got totally exposed to Hoiberg and Dombele. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, I felt for the the Spurs fans, but Kyle's absolutely right. Um, Arsenal were the better team, and even without they were Aubameyang, you know. Yeah, they, they were the better side. Um, I do have sympathy for Spurs in losing uh, Son quite early on in that game. Because uh, I yeah. think it does that does change the way you can possibly counterattack. Um, but yeah, Arsenal were the better side. They they did they just seem to be they seem to be more at it. I wonder if the Obama Yang uh, disciplinary action before the game whether that spurred on the rest of the team, Gareth. What, what do you make of that? And do you think that's a good move from Arteta? It's it's consistent. That's the thing. He's had a few disciplinary uh, situations where he's acted quite quickly. I remember you know with, with Granit Xhaka, he left him out of the team for a while and. You know, there's been other things, and I think he's quite even-handed, and he's probably been quite keen to sort of eradicate this kind of sense of sloppiness or sort of, you know, over-casualness within the Arsenal squad that feels like it's existed for a long time. So it was, the, you know, seemingly it was the right move. I, I think Lacazette's quietly had a pretty good season. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, you know, when one doesn't play centrally, the other will come in pretty well. So it, I, I don't think Arsenal are actually materially that much worse for 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 not having Aubameyang, to be honest. And, you know, it did look like the rest of the team, you know, responded responded to that. So if if it hadn't, you know, if Arsenal hadn't won and they missed a few more glaring chances like the Lacazette one early on, um, maybe there'd be different questions. But it looks like he played his hand pretty well. Yeah, it, it, I think it was quite risky, wasn't it? But it's, it's, it's paid off. And, I, yeah, I thought they were excellent. I really did. I think um, uh, Smith Rowe looks like a, you know, a player that could be at Arsenal for the next 10 years, along with Saka, along with Tierney. They've got, they've got the makings of an interesting, exciting side again. Um, Pepe's right, coming let's... along as well. Very quick. Who, sorry? Pepe. Yeah, you know what? Pepe, yeah. I mean, I'm really surprised by this because he seems to be a really, really impactful substitute now. He's someone who can come on. He's so direct. He stopped doing that thing of just chucking in 15 lollipops, just step over, step over, and then going nowhere. He tried, He might do one or two, but he tends to get a ball in now, and he looks like an actual, you know, an actual option now. I still don't think he's worth the money. I still don't think they should have got him ahead of Zaha, and I still think he's better coming off the bench. But he's an asset to the club now, I think, isn't he, Grits? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just going back on to the disciplinary thing, I thought just to revisit, I don't know if you were thinking of coming back to that, Mark, but I, in my experience, that 
the players do respond really well to the the, the consistent decision making by a, a manager in those in those situations because it, out of all the players, I mean, their top scorer, their kind of you know their talisman up front. If he's yeah, willing yeah. to drop him, it happens to them all. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it go the other way. I've seen it when we've had really high-profile players come into the dressing room at a lower level and like phones going off at halftime and lads answering them and stuff during a manager's yeah, 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 yeah. talk. And you're like, uh, it's not Sunday League. Even at Sunday League, you wouldn't do that. So it's just like this, This, um, you know, it's, it's really good discipline uh, from Arteta. I mean, by all accounts, when he was a, a coach at City as well, he was a very serious guy. You know, it's, uh, people that I know that have worked with him have said that you didn't get much out of him. He didn't have much of a sense of humour. But, you know, yeah. you're going to get from him uh, in terms of a, a manager. So that's that can only be a good thing. Yeah, got to be consistent. You can't punish Tim Canterbury and not Chris Finch. That's the, that's the rule of the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> Spurs, then. I mean, we, we've talked about it over the last few weeks been in great form Gareth um but then you look at it and you do think well you know okay no disrespect to these teams but they haven't really played anybody Burnley Fulham Palace a team with the word pellets in their name in the Euro- <laughs> Europa League I mean Wolfsburg this was their the first test the other Wolfsburg yeah exactly exactly that doesn't really count so this this was their first test for a while and I just felt like it, it didn't quite go to plan having said that we saw one of the goals of the season, didn't we? Another one at the second Rabona of um, Lamella's career. Mm. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. It's comparative. You know, he scored one in the Europa League uh, from outside the area, which is absolutely crazy. But I think he would probably say this one was better because it's North London derby. You throw in a nutmeg. Um, and it's, it's sensational. And, you know, d- the most wonderful thing is obviously with all the camera angles these days, you can find the one yeah. that makes it look the most magnificent. That was the one that was from behind Lamella as he, as he, uh, as he did it. So it was, it's disappointing because when you score a goal like that, you want it to mean that bit more. I, it's for the win or a draw or a late equalizer. And, you know, I think Arsenal fans will take a degree of pleasure saying, well, that, you know, you did that and you still managed to uh, cover the bed in English. <laughs> um, so, you know, almost more calling for Spurs. Going what you're saying about uh, Mourinho's record. So since Spurs beat Arsenal in December to go top of the table, uh, they've played eight teams who were sitting in the top half of the league after that and they've lost every single one. So Spurs wow. are very much punching uh, below their weight, punching yeah, they, down, punching down. Yeah, they they beat the teams <laughs> they're meant to beat, and then anyone who gives them a, a close game is is likely to win at the moment. That, that that's very damning, I think, of uh, Mourinho's approach. More than the players, you know, the players, most of these players are have good track records against good teams. You know, Spurs aren't the shy, you know, the retiring shy violet teams they used to be. So that's right. Yeah, I do yeah. think it's it's the approach and the tactics at this point. <sighs> Um, it, it sort of gave me a bit of anxiety. Watching Harry Kane be that isolated, having no support, no legs around him, and very little coming from the centre of midfield, it gave me anxiety about how England might play in the Euros. Grits, if you're a striker and you're, you're, you're isolated like that, what, what can you do to, to get involved in the game, apart from you know, drop in seven, ten yards deeper? Uh, well, that's the thing. You can't, you can't really drop in deeper because the whole point of your role is to stretch the game out. And then you're then you literally have to sacrifice goal-scoring opportunities. Yeah. And that's when Antonio, strikes like Antonio, brilliant at it. Because what Antonio does, he'll turn bad balls into good. He'll chase things down. He'll get his body there. 
the last thing yeah. you want Harry Kane doing is getting his body there because he just he would just get clattered and all those little clatters have kind of counted up to to something yeah, that has, yeah, yeah. has caused long term problems for him. So yeah, your your role as a sole striker, um, you can do that if again Spurs shouldn't be clinging on, but that's what you do when you're clinging on. You just put your big man up there and you don't you don't get him to run. You just hit, maybe try and hit the channels, get a foul, get the team up the pitch. That is not yeah. the best use of Harry Kane. And, and, and once Son's gone off, and, and you know, yeah, of course, course Lamella's come on and done what he's done. He's, he's had a he's had a great game. <laughs> up until the oh, other flash, yeah, yeah. which is where, I mean, it's sort of like a it, it's it's on Football Manager. Your fans' favourite would be the guy who <laughs> scores an over a kick and then gets sent off every, every derby, and that's what Lamella is, isn't it? This, this is it. The, the, the Rabona goal is such a dick move, right? It's such a dick move that only is it a yellow card offence. The only time you forgive it is if it goes in. And even if it goes in, you go, he's going to be fucking insufferable for the rest of the match. And do you know what? It, I bet some of his teammates went, do you know what? Don't mind him getting sent off here because we we're going to get beat. And it's just like, why? It's, it's all, they almost go hand in hand, don't they? A massive act of petulance after some sublime skill that makes them think they're better than everyone else on the park. And Lamella is very much guilty of that. And I know that... Counterpoint. Counterpoint. <laughs> now this is it. I'm no. I'm literally picking pantomime extremities. I'm going extreme as I can on both points because listen, it's a beautiful bit of skill and it's gas. I love watching it again. But the first thing that I, as soon as I saw you set off, just a big smile like appeared on my face. <laughs> so I was listening to the game on five live and I was just like, oh, there we go. And then I watched it on match of the day and you're just like, there's a there's that air of inevitability about it. It's funny. So uh, Lamella, um, he, he walks that line brilliantly. He seems to get a booking every time he plays. But until yesterday, he'd never been sent off in his uh, professional career, which is... Oh, really? Yeah. So genuinely surprising. I think, you know, people watching yeah. play and he, he he loves to get the early doors reducer in, you know, the, that skulls tackle that <laughs> used to get Ron Atkinson sort of laughing over while, while the opposition player was carried off after five minutes getting, you know, nice early doors, uh, you know, little live in the there, but he's, he's always walked that line. So it's interesting that he seemed to go completely, you know, he picked up those two bookings in fairly quick succession. So yeah, I think you're yeah. right. And, you know, he, um, after scoring, maybe it was before or after, but one of the first things he actually did when he came on was go after Granite Xhaka. Cause obviously Xhaka is seen as a weak link, an emotional weak link in, in the Arsenal team, someone you can wind up and get a mistake over. So, even more additional blessed irony that Lamella was the one who ended up shithousing himself. <laughs> and he looks like, Xhaka looks like his kind of a boy band big brother. Do you know what I mean? In the tunnel, you can imagine Lamella as the kind of bellend that will find a mirror in the tunnel and while the opposition are watching, he won't care that the opposition are watching and he'll be doing his hair and he'll smell good on the pitch. He's can you imagine big, those, those two players. having a fight in a wine bar though, Xhaka and Lamella? Well, yeah, I can. The DeMarco, the Beppe DeMarco <laughs> levels of <laughs> Bell Endery. But the, the, and the, those players that always smell, you're like, why smell good on the pitch? You put, what's going on? You know, you're just like, they just enrage me. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I'm sure, yeah, you, you've got me up from my couch. Come on, Mark. You, like, lie down, get, get laid down Sorry. again. Sorry, I'll, I'll um, sit back down. But anyway, yeah, carry can on. Can I make I'm, a suggestion? Yes, we haven't heard anything from um, you, Mark. No, my suggestion is uh, by all means try the Rabona, but if you don't score it, it's a booking. <laughs> yes. yes. I think that's that's fair. Because it's only this fucking guy, he tries it. No one else tries this this thing. There's been two Rabonas scored in like the last million years, and they're, they're both had, from him. 
we had a, there was a lad at Plymouth, but Paul Sturrock used to get in some really good trialists, so good enough to start. And this was like in League Two, so get, we had some lad come in, some French lad from uh, what was it, Sheffield United or something. Anyway, he tried a Rabona to cross the ball, and the ball was running at quite a pace. And the, and he tried Rabona to cross, it and, and it just went straight into the stand. And Sturrock, uh, like it was just before half time, I think, and at half time. But he started saying, what the hell were you doing? And he was like, oh, my, he was trying to explain that he didn't have a strong foot, strong enough other foot to get it. And Sturge just went, oh, right, yeah. Ah, just dragged him, subbed it straight off, never saw him again. I mean, like, that's exactly the sort of treatment. As, as, as little love I have for Poster, that's exactly the sort of treatment I, I would want from that. Or maybe I'm just being Amazing. scarred so badly by by seeing that. that, that that's have you ever tried it, Chris? In a game? Can you imagine? I mean, like, I've done it. I've fallen over myself doing it by accident, but never. I didn't even know what a Rabona was until I saw that. So, yeah. Well, it's got, it's got the word boner in it because it's so damn sexy. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the second big talking point of the uh, of the game. Uh, I keep it pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, Gareth, yes or no? Is that a penalty? Yes, I, I, I do think it was a penalty. It was uh, very, very rash by... Uh, Sanchez, I, I can see the arguments for both, but I do feel that ultimately he, he clatters into Lacazette. Yeah, and once I that, I can't see why there's an argument here. Everyone, both both match of the day guys, uh, Janice yeah. and Keown, both saying you know definitely not. And I don't really understand the argument here. Grits, talk me through no, it. It's one hundred percent. I mean, I, I I can't. I did the same thing. I was listening, watching it on match of the day uh, on mute. So I was just like, oh, what is he doing there? What's that Sanchez actually doing? Like, even if he can't see the ball and even if he doesn't miss kick it, he's going straight through the man with no real sight of the ball and no yeah. way of touching it. So it's just like, well, there's no, there can't be an argument here. And then t- turned it on and then they're all arguing. The the sort of line of uh, questioning seems to be, well, you know, if Lacazette doesn't swing at the ball and take his body into, into Sanchez, it's, <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it's football. You, you, at best, it's clumsy, isn't it? Um, I don't think he tried to wipe him out and take him out and foul him, but it no, is a very clumsy reckless. challenge, and it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's not really thought about it. Um, it it's it's irrelevant that the ball's gone. How many times you see thousands of fouls every season where someone passes the ball, takes a late tackle, and it's it's a free kick or a yellow card or whatever. The ball going away means nothing. Otherwise, you've got carte blanche whenever the ball goes away to assault your opponent, and that's Quite not how it right. should work. Doesn't Quite make any right, sense. Mark. We're, we're all agreed on this one. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the first Rubber time in anything. Yeah. Rubber stamp whistleblower stamped on pen. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's wrap up this first half of the Whistleblowers podcast uh, by talking about uh, Fulham. Um, obviously, they lost to Man City on Saturday night, but I still think there's there's real there's real hope there. I mean, they're playing the best team in the country. Yes, they've lost. The teams around them, you know, Brighton have done well. But they've got a real shot here still. I, I just think that Man City showed that they can beat anyone in, you know, a seven-minute burst, essentially. But Fulham, I, I still fancy them. Uh, Gareth, what do you think? Um, I Yeah, so in the first half, I was a confirmer. Basically, I think this is a really decent team. This is a, yeah. you know, a, a top 12, 14 team. Um, and it's only because it took them so long to... Well, partly to assemble their squad. You know, they essentially didn't finish their team until around deadline day in September. And they were, you know, and then they had to obviously put some yards in on the practice pitch. But now that they're there, they they found a rhythm. They they all know what they're doing. And if you'd started the season 
a month later, if they had assembled their team a month a month earlier, then I don't they'd think be they'd nowhere be nowhere near this, would they? No, genuinely, um, and it was disappointing because essentially, like you said, they they essentially end up beating themselves. There was one mistake, which was you know, then followed a couple of others. They were very loose playing out the back, and I have no idea why. Um, and yeah. you know, the moment City score one. It's it's probably done, but you feel like it's done, yeah. Yeah, until then they they were very very good, and if if Fulham stay up, then Scott Parker is probably a shoo-in for manager of the year. Yes, I I absolutely one hundred percent agree with everything you just said. I think he if they stay up, I mean he can't win it if they go down. Obviously, no. if they stay up, given where they were, given the way they're playing, because they're not they're not grinding the results out. They're playing really really good football. Um, you know, Southampton lost, so they're they're getting towards it now. Brighton have done themselves a favour, but it's still it's still Newcastle, isn't it? It's still between Newcastle and Fulham, for me, anyway. And their last-minute or 95th-minute equaliser against uh, Villa might be the most important goal that that club have scored in a long, long time. Uh, Grits, have you changed your mind yet on who's going to go down? You said Brighton last week. Yeah, do you know what? There was some big wins down there, wasn't there, this weekend? So, um, funny seeing that Newcastle just being the ones getting dragged into it. There. I immediately regretted saying Brighton uh, after last week. Uh, <laughs> Thinking absolutely, Newcastle are, are, are staggering. Uh, yeah, Fulham. Interesting, Fulham and well, it's the thing that West Ham have done very well in the kind of in a kind of poor man's Man City way. They can put balls in. They put that De Bruyne ball in. Cresswell delivers a just a devastating ball. But if you put a ball for, uh, it's generally the same halves at the minute. It's like Dawson attacking that space. Defenders just can't. The Premier League defenders cannot defend that ball. In like they just either lose the man or they don't get physical with them. So you know, like with Stones running through there, and they're like, it's easy, it's easy for me to say from sat on my sofa. But like when you you literally grab a man, rather give away a penalty there than than let him just get a run in behind you, get in between that space between the keeper. And Dawson does it incredibly well for West Ham, and Stones and Diaz have been doing it phenomenally well for City. And it's interesting yeah. that they've got so many different ways to beat you, Man City, that it was inevitable that something would happen. But yeah, fair play to Fulham. Do you yeah. think uh, that you know, this new attacking threat from the centre-backs, is that something that Guardiola has deliberately brought in because of the fact that his forward line gets suffocated by endless, endless you know, lines of defenders? Or is it just something that has just happened and, and the defenders are the ones forcing the issue? Do you know what? It's almost like it's not just that. It's the committed, the committed midfielders and defenders as soon as you do score one of those goals, Gareth, it makes you think, I can score these all the time. And you, you'll see a centre-half. I bet you've had a few at Derby, uh, Mark. You've definitely had a few at, at Spurs where you go, these guys are going to score. To, the, you know when your defender's on a run of scores? I mean, like mm. we talked about the hot hand, those sort of things. But defenders, when it's in their head, the mentality where I'm going to get one today and I'm going to attack it and I'm going to want it more than them. It's almost yeah, like yeah. if you've got a player that can put the ball in that area, there's an there's a, there's a Again, that inevitability about, you know, having Susek, Dawson's got perfect foil because who do you pick up? I mean, you know, West Ham have got a big side. Antonio's already going to be marked by the biggest guy. So these late running, you can't defend it. You just literally cannot defend if you put it in. I just think Stones was a bit criminal because it was like on a half volley. It was a really good finish from him. You know, you just watched it. But I, you yeah. do everything you can to get... If, if Stones is going to score against, against you, you want it to be a towering header. That, that exactly. Beat, him, beat, beat you in there. Beat you at the back stick. You know, you, you'll, you'll take that. But yeah, don't, don't let it be because you didn't get your body there. 
Uh, it, but, it, sorry, oh, sorry very, uh, very good. quite similar to what you're saying in your head. I'm going to score here is uh, earlier in the season, Kurt Zuma for Chelsea seemed to score yeah, exactly. one week for a yeah. month. That's it, absolutely. Once once they start doing it, you just like, oh, hang on a minute. So where's Susek? And you know Susek, if he, if he goes on a run and not scoring for a while, he probably won't score again until next season. But when he gets that bit between his teeth and he gambles, you know, there's some strikers just have that about them. Yeah, but uh, for Fulham, I mean... They've come off the back of a very tough run. Uh, Spurs, Liverpool, Man City. They've yeah. got a slightly easier one coming up. And the defence has been very good, um, despite what we say there about uh, centre-backs sort of sneaking oh, yeah, in on yeah. free kicks. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just cannot see any other team staying up other than them. I think, I think that Newcastle have got key players out. Fulham are playing fantastic football, seem full of confidence. I mean, watch this space, but uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't stay up. Right, let's have a break and we'll come back. We'll talk about United, West Ham and Leicester, Sheffield United. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's talk about what was potentially the... Uh, the biggest game of the weekend, United-West Ham. West Ham were in fifth, United were in second. Um, it sort of went by the book, a bit like Spurs in a way, West Ham were, I thought. They just didn't really try and attack in that first half. Grits, did you see this game? What did you make of West Ham's uh, or David Moyes' uh, tactics here? Oh, do you know what? I saw most of it. Again, I listened to some of this on the radio. And then the last half hour, I was just... I, I watched, basically, West Ham just... Assault Man United, you know, it was it was great to see that, but Man United just looked so resolute, and it's probably the best I've seen Harry Maguire play. Um, I, you know, I thought that United looked like so dangerous on the break. It, the way that West Ham committed players forward, it was interesting. It was almost like Moyes challenging them, saying, "All right, if you're good enough, you you, you score against us in the counter attack." And there was just some kind of wayward finishing from United, a couple of post hits that were just. Almost yeah. like snatch that shots rather than any sort of culture. A bit of, of a sitter for Rashford as well. Yeah, so I mean, those ones were, um, you know, I'd, I'd say that Manu did did a great job because that is a, that's a very very tough game. This you know, West Ham are just a very very difficult team to play. I love it. even then Dawson. It's like that Sunday league element. We'll just stick him up front for the last five because <laughs> he so, he's so good in the air. He's brilliant, and you just look yeah. like it. Mason Greenwood trying to looking at him like to push him as if he's going to make a difference to the outcome he's <laughs> just like you know you're not beating me in the air we ran so um uh, yeah it's, I, I, i'm still proud of west ham just you know because i've got a, a passing interest in them but at the same time um fair play to man united i mean their credentials are answering all the questions at this point of the season 
Yeah, they are. That was a really tough one on paper, I think. Um, obviously, West Ham couldn't play Lingard, um, but they yeah, could have played they, Ben Rama. Yeah. They could have played Lanzini, and they just yes. chose not to. Yes. And as was said in commentary, I think this, you know, all that matters, if you're going to play it that way, you've got to get the result. You've got to get a nil-nil or, or snatch a victory. You cannot lose the game if you're that negative. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gareth, is there a danger on United's side of overplaying Rashford? Uh, he was injured midweek or maybe last weekend, and it's, they seem to have rushed him back. He completed the game, but he's a young player who plays a lot of minutes. Now, you've had someone like that at Tottenham with Harry Kane, and you've seen what can happen to a player with cumulative injuries. Are United treading a very fine tightrope here? Perhaps. I, I think he's uh, this week he was hamstrung by the issue of you know, Cavani and Martial were both out. Um, yeah. Short-term injuries, but... Yeah, it feels like Rashford is the forward that Solskjaer trusts the most. I don't get a sense that he really is that committed to any of them apart from Rashford. Uh, Greenwood, you obviously had very high hopes for, but he had a very slow start to the season, you know, second season growing pains. Yeah. Cavani has great moments, but has yet to put his stamp on things. Even when earlier in the season, Solskjaer turned around and was like, well, he's probably going to start every game. Cavani didn't respond really very positively for that. So he probably doesn't have, have any choice. I, I, I do think Rashford, along with Fernandes, is, is approaching that talisman status for the team. Um, Definitely. And I agree, yeah. I, I would expect some changes up front next season. I think they're probably going to... I suspect Cavani's only got this season in him at United. And Martial... You know, how many years will go by before he, he stops being a prospect and, you know, everyone admits that he's a player who hasn't ever quite fulfilled his potential. Yeah, which is frustrating, isn't it? Because, I mean, he was superb against Man City. And he is superb every four, five, six games. It's just not enough, is it? You, you need, If you're going to be leading the line of a top club, you need to be, you know, seven out of ten every game, minimum, don't you, Grits? Well, yeah, what, what I was going to ask you, put it back on you, Mark. What do you reckon, what do they need? Or what's the most glaring thing that they need to compete next season? <laughs> Um, I, I still think they're probably three starting players off getting anywhere near Man City in the long term. Um, I think if I was if I was one of these many new appointments they've got behind the scenes, um, I would be looking at a, a centre back to to complement Harry uh, Maguire, someone who can run, but who isn't injury prone the same way that Eric Bay is. I'd be looking at a defensive midfielder, and we talked about them before. I mean, I'm looking at. Declan Rice, who was superb in this game again. Absolutely. But would yeah. be so expensive. I mean, it probably wouldn't be worth talking about. Someone like Wilf Ndidi. And then I think um, uh, uh, number nine. Because uh, Martial is a good player and you, you want him in your squad. He can do things. I mean, also he's versatile. He can play alongside the, all those front three positions. Green was still very young, but was fantastic as a number nine yesterday, I thought. But I think they, they need that guy. So essentially, what I'm saying is all they need is a brand new spine. <laughs> Very yeah, true, and yeah, very, very concisely uh, argued. Now that, that that makes perfect sense. I, I just think that because um, they could see themselves easily bypassed as the second best team next season, couldn't they? With Absolutely. with a few of the other sides getting their act together, and you know that Liverpool are going to come back after this season. Liverpool are not going to be like this again. Not not no. for a long time. I mean, I mean, unless there's serious issues at the club, and 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 there's something we don't know about. I cannot see this being anything other than a blip. Um, West Ham, though, uh, I mean, are they going to? Have they got a proper shot here still of top four, Gareth? Or do you think they're looking more top six, top seven? Realistically, they're probably going to fall short. But um, they were really uh, affected yesterday, I think, by uh, not being able to play uh, Pablo Fornals, who was injured. He's quietly had a very influential year. And when you're doing a direct replacement for Mark Noble, who, you know, he he's... You know, 
a formerly good player who's now so immobile that it, it just you know just doesn't work, and the, the drop off from four hours to 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 Noble is, is is vast. Um, I do think that when they can field their best eleven, which probably does include Lingard as well now, yeah, they yep, could they could still win enough games. You know, Chelsea, you know, they've won a lot of games under Tuchel, but they've they've not quite impressed or they've not convinced that much. So it is open. I suspect that they won't quite make it, but I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked if they if they finish in top four. It just depends who's got love the, it. who's got the moxie to to see it through. Do you know what? On Mon- Monday's a huge game in that regard because they've got Arsenal and and they're playing Arsenal at a time where you know Arsenal are full of confidence. If I, if Arsenal beat West Ham, I think it could be a real confidence dent at the London Stadium because you know last time. I'm not sure the last time they got beat. It was at Man U in December, maybe. I mean, they've been so strong. Um, They've been so strong at home, uh, but also, as you said, if they can get to field their first eleven, and you know Lingard's coming straight back in there. You're right about Noble. Oh, and Lingard haunts Arsenal every time. Yeah. Oh, Lingard's brilliant. He's absolutely. He's exactly yeah. that role mark you were talking about. You know the Lanzini and the Benrama. It's a strange that they didn't play Benrama, but you're absolutely right. It can some. It can be a risk, and they and they he wagered against that. But um, Noble just hasn't played enough first team football, so it's difficult for him to be at the pace, he's still, you know, he's still got pre-season legs. Uh, as Gareth says, you know, that those mobilities are pr- very difficult to come in to a side, you know, Old Trafford away. It's like, cheers. Thanks, Dave. Um, yeah, against but, Fred and McTominay, who are both oh, high energy and yeah. pressing. And, yeah. So no disgrace, no disgrace there. But yeah, absolutely right. Interesting, that, that key role. So let's see how they get on against Arsenal next week. Yeah, that's uh, that, that is a, that becomes a massive game, doesn't it? I mean, Arsenal aren't going to finish top four. They're not going to threaten it, but... They can still end the season well, Arsenal, and, and do something good and be positive. Uh, let's talk about another team who, who had an excellent weekend. I mean, given that Spurs drop points, Everton drop points, um, who else? Uh, well, West Ham drop points. It was crucial that Leicester were able to play against a uh, what looked like a genuinely depressed Sheffield United side. Mm. But play so, so well against them and score a lot of goals, which teams haven't really done against Sheffield United this weekend, uh, this this season. Um, Grits, did you see that game? Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a bit of a sorry state for Sheffield United, wasn't it? It's kind of that sort of... Um... <laughs> we'll get onto them in a second, I think. I think yeah. we've sorry, Leicester. Yeah, that, Leicester. But... In, in actual, I, I mean, coming for criticism from us before and takes yeah, yeah. his opportunity, some some great finishing. Um, and, and yeah, Leicester looking really good again, you know? Yeah, they are. They're a good side. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to attempt fate here, Grits. I don't want to attempt fate oh, here, guys. But you know what? Like, it, it wasn't. It was about this time last season. It went. It went to shit for Leicester. They just look this season so much more robust, don't they? They look like they've got so much more fortitude. There's a team there. We talked about spines a second ago. The spine of that team is so so strong. Yeah. Um, the Sheffield United one, Gareth. I mean, it's a little bit of a. It was a mismatch in terms of quality on the ball, but also in terms of mentally the state of the players at the moment. But Leicester in general, I, I'm going to go for. It. I'm going to say that they're they're nailed on for top four. Yeah, I, it, with that win and with the other results, I'd say. It's it's a fait accompli now. Um, they're absolutely going to finish in the the top three, let alone in top four. Uh, and what's most impressive is, you know, they lost Harvey Barnes. They've lost James Madison now for for long periods. Harvey Barnes probably yep. is, is out for the season, um, and it has an effect. And they one of the issues with Leicester, you always doubted the quality of their squad depth. And you know, uh, Aoz Perez and the, he and that show are probably 
two really good examples of you know players who blow hot and cold. They'll come in sometimes they have a good impact, and sometimes you you see why you know they're the 16th and 17th names on the on the squad yeah. list. Um, he and Nacho has now scored, I think, seven in his last eight. He's scored in his last three. He's looking really good. He's still only 24, so potentially. And yeah, when he came from Man City in 2017, he cost 25 million, which was a really big price tag. And yeah, maybe he just needed a bit more time to adjust. Maybe yep, he's yep. now looking towards the future and saying, I can take over from Vardy. You know, I don't have to compliment him. I can be the main, main man here. You know, Vardy set up his first goal brilliantly but it's it's really impressive what Brendan Rodgers has done sort of bringing in these replacements for the key players that you thought they could not stand to lose yeah it's yeah, all gonna yeah. be downhill from here and yeah you know, he's shown quite the opposite don't forget I mean Ian Acho not long ago you say how young he is only probably two or three maybe four years ago he was being compared to Rashford it was the whole Rashford versus Ian Acho Man United versus Man City young strikers coming up and okay, and actually has dropped off a little bit, but that points to how much talent, how much ability he does have, how good a footballer he can be. Uh, Grits, do you do you agree with Gareth? Do you think that Ian has got a shot potentially of taking over from Vardy, or is or is the the replacement for Vardy got to be someone who less to break the record transfer fee for? Yeah, I think Vardy's unique, isn't he? He's a one of a kind. But in terms of responsibilities, which I think Gareth was probably pointing to, uh, taking the goal scoring responsibility for the team, he absolutely could. I'm shocked that he's 24. It's amazing yeah. when, when you used to hear some of the numbers that were uh, around Lukaku and, you know, how much work he had to put in to to get where he's got to. You know, remember his West Brom days? Remember his, you know, ever? And it's like the guy's been scoring goals since, you know, Forever. Was a, yeah, forever, and just like the amount, the numbers, and he's and he's just hitting his peak now. He, he's you know he's one of the best strikers in Europe, and yeah, in actual go, you know, having that getting sold from somewhere like Man City must be very difficult to take for a young player that's been told how good they are their whole career. So maybe yeah, it's yeah. just him picking himself up and, to be honest, getting through in the scraps that he has been through. And that's that's another thing you have to really deal with as a professional footballer. It's like, going, well, you know, you're not going to have it all your own way and you've got to take the chances that you get. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, he's starting to do. I, I, if he can get this across the line for Leicester, then it's the difference between him being... Uh, seen as an option next season or as another bit part because I mean Jose Perez is always a bit part now you know because the guy's scored one goal this season you know it's not enough for him to be considered and he he would be the guy that you would say well uh, he's more of a a, a similarity to Vardy and and, you know in his pace and his gambling you know he doesn't really play up against defenders Um, so it's so interesting to see and uh, but I was absolutely right the testament to Brendan Rodgers' ability to coach players and, and to make the best use of with what he's got. Definitely. And, and they've had players injured. I mean, not to the same extent as Liverpool, but not far off it. Key players in crucial yeah. positions for yeah. la- large parts of the season. And, you know, to, to still be there or thereabouts for second place is uh, is a phenomenal achievement, I think, even with games left to play. Whatever happens, they've had a great season. Um, let's wrap up the show today. Let's talk about Leicester's opponents. Uh, Chef United, obviously they're already down. Um as I mentioned a minute ago, they haven't really been conceding a lot of goals in games, but they haven't been winning any games either, uh, really. But yesterday, having sacked Chris Wilder midweek, it just seemed to go to pieces. And this, Gareth, feels like it could be an extremely, extremely long end to the season. Talk me through, um, first of all, the decision, whether you think it's the right one or not. And secondly, what happens now? It was... Uh, so, w- with Wilder, you assume the conversation is 
do we want him next season to take us back up? You know, all the conversations would have been about next year. And, you know, it it was quite interesting that there was this, you know, he's he's been fired, no, he's resigning, wait, he's still there. And so it sounds like, you know, it wasn't like an easy transition. There was probably a lot of disagreements. And I get the impression that it was the board who made the final decision that they didn't want him next year, which, you know, I think a lot of people aren't very impressed with. But um, mm. it's... And more to the point is, you know, what are you going to inherit um, next year? You know, this is a team that's obviously completely ill-equipped to perform in the Premier League. It'll be interesting to see how they how they do in the Championship. And Heckingbottom, you know, it was miserable afterwards. It was essentially like, you know, it's an it's an emotional dressing room. People are very upset, and you know. Yeah, he started talking about you know certain habits have really sort of come in in the last four days in which he's been there, and um, you know it sounds like a team who's frankly you know has given up on the season is is completely miserable. So God knows where it, they are. It's a sort of situation where you see teams get relegated, and it's in such a bad situation that they end up struggling a league down next year. And I don't want to say oh, oh easily they're going to double drop, but you know you're not expecting them to be in the top four next year, are you, in the championship at this rate? No. It, I mean, Grits, what's it like when you lose a manager who you really trust and, and as a team you really have faith in? Well, it's, it's interesting, the the words uh, Billy Sharp after the game. Billy Sharp looks like he was, you know, it's almost like Wilder's son having one last go at all the other lads, blaming everyone, but, you know, saying it's unacceptable, it's this, it's that. Yeah. Well, you, you're part of it, mate. You were there and you're part of it all this season, and that's fair enough, and that's that's the difficulty for Peckingbottom. Obviously, this this was almost that chance for the players that feel like they're by Wilder to say fuck it, you know, uh, and for the bully boys that were probably Wilder's favourite ones to kind of rally round and blame them. So there is a little inter- internal finger pointing. The interesting thing is that Heckingbottom was was a thought of as a very well, a very highly thought of young manager when he took over at Leeds and before it got very short shrift there. I think he was he before Bielsa. Um, it gives you Barnsley manager for a bit, and he's like kind of he is the sort of manager who if he clears the decks. He would be the sort of guy that would mount an interesting campaign in the championship yeah, yeah. next year. So there could be maybe not, uh, you know, it's just a stewardship for him in the minute to see how he gets on. But it'll be interesting to see what decisions he makes in the coming weeks to get whether some of these old guys get put out to pass just early and say, "Sod it, let's 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 see what we've got to work with for next year." Because um, that'll be really interesting. It's because uh, it's it's one of those clubs that's packed full of big characters, you know. And it, it, this would have been a very difficult thing for them to do if fans were in the in. And I think they yes, probably yes. looked at they probably looked at that as let's just bury this now and, and move forward as quickly as we can. Take old Yeller behind the shed. <laughs> Going to his head. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll bring up Fulham again here. So Fulham obviously struggled massively start of the season. They've struggled all season, realistically, to the last couple of months. But it always seemed like Fulham had an idea, which was, we're going to keep playing to our principles, trying to play good football, and the idea would be that if we go down, Scott Parker is the right guy that we can keep and we can come back up with him. As long as Scott Parker has a decent end to the season, he'll keep his job, and he's the right guy for this club going forward. Mm-hmm. And everyone was sort of on board with that, I think. And because of that positivity, because of everyone's on the same page, the results have turned around, they've done a great job. I thought the same thing was happening with Sheffield United and Chris Wilder. 
because I can't for the life of me think of a better manager who knows the club better, who could go down and bring them back up again. But it turns out in January, all of this had been mooted, the idea of getting rid of Wilder, you know, doing all these things. So it just seems to me to be a, a decision made from above in January, it sounds like, that has it's just poured fuel onto a fire. It, it was going badly anyway, but now you've made it into, it's, this isn't just on the field anymore. This is, this is in the dressing room. This is, this is all over that club has been affected with this negativity mm-hmm. and this uncertainty. You know what it's like. You need to have some certainty as a professional, whether you're a manager or a coach or a footballer, you need to know that you are secure for at least the next season or two, right? That it always helps yeah. to, to have that blanket. And I just feel like Sheffield United have really, they've dropped a bollock basically here. And uh, I think it could come back and haunt them because all right, they've got they've got some we're told wealthy owners, but we've not really seen too much evidence of that. They spent a bit on McBurney, they spent a bit on Brewster, but I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't I don't know what's going to happen with them. No one knows what's going to happen with them. But I just think this is a this is a strange move, Gareth. If you were on the board at Sheffield United, uh, would you have done this? Um, probably not. I, I think you you should. You know, say to Wilder, you know, let, let's let's see where we go next season and ask him what he wants to do to yeah. improve the He's team. You, know, you have to ask what the vision is. You know, you go, well, okay, we're down. How do we get back up? And I wonder whether there's that suspicion that it was almost such a miraculous rise for Sheffield United that they couldn't repeat it and they would be fooling themselves trying to convince themselves they could, which if that's the case, then that's an incredibly pragmatic view. And, uh, but it does smack more of that. It reminds me of teams like Bradford um, back in, was it the late nineties where they went and signed their Benito Carbonis and Paul Mersons. And yep. they, they started thinking that they were a Premier League team because they hung around for a couple of years. And, yes, um, yes. and that's usually where it all goes terribly, terribly wrong. Yeah. It's an un- unforgiving league and Sheffield United just found the season. That if you, if you're just off it at the back, by a few percent, and if you just off it up front by you know quite a lot more than that, you will lose. Uh, you will lose a lot of games in this division, and it doesn't matter who you are. You can have God in charge; it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> all right, look, let's wrap it up. Uh, it's been a fun episode. Thank you guys for joining me. Thanks, Grits. Anything to talk about, Grits? If you you want to say anything to us? No, lovely. Uh, thanks for for hosting, Mark Gareth. Uh, I heard one of your boys on Radio Six Music this morning, put out in his new wares. That was excellent. All very exciting. So that that that's Griff Reese, who's the uh, the lead singer of Super Fairy Animals, is releasing his new solo record uh, out in May, and he has a new single out at the moment called "Loan Your Loneliness," which you should check out. Lovely stuff. Right. Well, that's about it then from us. Uh, thank you, Gareth Dobson. Thank you, Martin Gritton. I've been Mark Smith. This has been the Whistleblowers Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, what can you do? You can tweet us, I guess. Yeah. Our Twitter handle is what Football Podcast Grits. Pretty good one. Is that in it? Football podcast at football podcast. Yeah, that's it, mate. Madness. So yeah, get hold of the show. Let's know what you think. Uh, slag this off if you want. I don't really care. All right. See you next week. Bye. This is a playback media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.